Lord, for our mothers. Mothers who are present, mothers who are gone, but are in our hearts. Lord, we're so thankful for each day that you've given unto us. To be able to love our mothers, to care for our mothers, but to see them, oh God, doing what they love to do. And that is to love their children. To fix for their children. To prepare for their children. That Lord, uh, there's a love in a mother's heart when she can make a home for the children. And Father, we want to thank you for the hard work that they put in in seeing about us and taking care of us. May you bless them. May you minister through them. And Lord, as we look through your word, may we be able to pull out some nuggets that we can put in our hearts as mothers today and use them for your glory to impact our children. May your word speak to us. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. What is a mother to do when the dinner is burning and the phone is ringing and the children are fighting and everything's in a mess and the husband's in there watching the sports? Isn't it strange sometimes how mothers think they need help and, and, and... as fathers sometimes, we don't think they need help. We, we even tone out a deaf ear to it sometimes. But mothers, you do a wonderful job. You do an outstanding work. And it is that. It's work. Mothering is not easy. It's work. And while I'm saying that about mothers, let me throw this in too. Grandmothers, you do an outstanding job. For some reason, we think when motherhood's over with, it's done with. No, we find grandchildren coming along and we're still doing what? What is mothering? No words can truly define it. No words can truly define mothering. But let's say it's an example of selflessness. It's an example of giving oneself. It's an example, as Paul expressed in Timothy, as one pouring himself out into the life of others. You are the ones who care and influence young women and young men for tomorrow. Mothers of today are very remarkable women with all the pressure and all the things that are taking place in this life today, mothers are outstanding. You're doing the hard work of raising a child or raising children in this very difficult time. You are leading and you're cultivating young lives. You're making the ground of that young life fertile, for what is going to be added into their lives even later on. You are one who is guiding, you're nurturing, you're teaching, you're listening, 
You're training. You're watching over. Isn't it strange how a mother can be asleep but hear the silent cry of a child? And somehow as fathers, that don't bother us. No. But that mother's up. No. And she's attentive to her children. Mothers run through a lot of storms in life. Never expecting those storms to come as those children are growing. And mothers somehow weather the storms. And what we want to look at in scripture today is just a couple of storms and hope we can pull out some nuggets. And then we're going to wind up looking at Timothy's mother. And I want you to come to a point in life. It's okay to accept outside help. I know today in raising our children, we say, nobody else better not say a word to my child. Nobody else better not put a hand on my child. Nobody else better not do nothing on my child. Let me share something with you. You can't raise the child by yourself. We all need help. That old saying that it takes a village to raise a child. Only thing it's really saying is this. It takes more than just you. And sometimes we have to learn how to accept the help from outside in order to do it. Because we mother and mothers do really mother through the storms of life. They have to grit the teeth. They have to really fight the battle sometime on behalf of of their children. They have to go through those storms with their children. They have to guide them through the storms of life. They have to be a part with them. Mothers and grandmothers are working through the storms of their life with their children and their grandchildren. It's something you have to work at. And you have to be at the top of your game in doing so. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, and 7 and 10. and We want to look at Moses' mother. And, and now what I want you to do today for me a little bit, I want you to think, but I want your emotions to be also aroused. I want you to think, but I want your emotions to be in touch. Sometime when we read Scripture, we're reading Scripture just for the mind. But we don't allow our emotions to get involved with the scripture. And what I want you to do is to allow the emotional part maybe to get a little bit in touch with the character that we're talking about. And to understand maybe what might she be going through? What might be her struggles? What might be her fears? What might be going through this mother's mind and heart. Oh yes, we see the overall plan of God and we knew that, yes, Moses was in God's plan to deliver his people and that Moses was not going to be killed even though the Pharaoh had said to kill all these young children. Yet he's in God's plan, so God's going to keep him safe. But Moses' mother may not know all of God's plan. So what is she going through? 
What is she going through? So, in verse 7, chapter 2, it says, Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Because Pharaoh has written this edict that all the children, two years now, would be killed. She had hid the baby in the house as long as she could. Protecting the child. And finally she had to come to a solution. Make a basket. Put the baby in the basket. Put the baby in the water. And mothers, this is where we all come to at some point. Trust God for the life of the child. No longer in my hands. No longer can I cuddle. No longer can I pull it close to my breath. No longer can I feed. No longer can I change the diaper. No longer can I do this. Push the basket into the water. Not knowing, moment by moment, what might happen to the child. Catch that picture. Of you yourself laying your child in a basket, casting it off, and trusting God. And it says in that verse 7 Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Moses' sister. Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him from the water. I'm nursing my own child. I'm going to wean my own child. But I cannot really allow this child to know I'm the birth mom. I cannot show affection in such a way that I get attached to this child. I cannot show any kind of way that I really am the mother of this child. I can only perform a task, a job, but I cannot mother. Can you see the strength of Moses' mother? Being able to nurse and cuddle her own child, but not at the same time really be the affectionate mother that she may desire to be? Can you see the strength? Can you see the character? Can you see her emotions? Because I can't even call him the birth name I gave him. I gotta call him what? Moses. If I call him by his birth name, what might be said? What might be attached? But I have to call him Moses. The name given by another. 
But yet the desire to really mother this child for that this very moment, not really being able to. Not being able to. Catch a picture with me right now, okay? All of you, turn around, look at D. Just turn around and look. That overgrown man in the arms of his mother. But, but mom just enjoying it. It's not about his age. It's not about his strength. It's the mother saying, that's my child. I have so many days to just hug him, hold him, wrap him. Can you see Moses' mother? Even in that picture. Mothers, prepare yourself for a day for your child. And Dee's going to have to do this one day. Put the child in the basket. Lord, he's in your hands now. We all have to do it. She did what was right for her son's life. And mothers, that can be a struggle sometimes. Doing the right thing for my child. Doing the right thing for my child that they might live. Hannah, turn to 1 Samuel 1, 27. Because here's a woman who longed for a child was barren until God interceded. But God heard her prayer and God answered. But she also kept her word that at some point she would release the child back into God's hands. I want you to catch that picture, mothers, that you're nurturing the children for one purpose, to release them back into the hands of who? To God. You're only a gardener. You're only a caretaker. You're only keeping the weeds out. You're fertilizing and feeding. You're preparing for that day in which God takes over in a sense. And you have to be willing to let go. And trust God with your child. Hannah prayed. But I want you to listen to what Hannah says. There, because it's so important in verse 27, because I don't think she just prayed for having a child. I think she prayed for her child. Sometimes we pray just to have a child. See, after Elaine had our second child, the doctor told us no more children. No more children. And I can remember praying, Lord, would you give me a son? And God blessed. Because something was stuck in my mind. I'm the eighth child. There are 11 boys in our family. I'm the first one to have girls first. All my brothers had boys first. So when Tyler came along, I had the baseball bat, I had the mitt, I had the football, I had all the, because back in them days, they didn't know what was coming. 
But I went out and got all this stuff because I'm just sure it's going to be a boy. And here she comes. And we love her just as much. But, but, but the thing is this here. God gave us one son. Prayed for, and then he taught us how to pray for him through his sicknesses at two years old. That we just didn't pray for him, but we prayed for him. Pray for your children. Just don't pray to get to pray for them through life. You never stop praying. And it says in that verse 27, I prayed. I prayed. And we need to understand that she did pray. It says early the next morning in verse 19, they arose and worshipped. So Hannah was one who worshipped God with her husband. Now there were other wives too. And you know that those wives kidded her and, and so forth because she was barren and they had children and so forth. But here's Hannah. And it says early the next morning they arose and, and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah said with Hannah, lied with Hannah, his wife. Now look what's happening while they're together and they're lying together. It says, the Lord what? Remembered. Hmm. Wasn't all the man. The Lord remembered. The Lord remembered what she had prayed. And it goes on and it says in verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When you ask the Lord and the Lord answers, now is really the time to go to prayer. When God brings something to life after you've asked him, you're not just receiving it for that moment because now the work begins. If you ask God for ministry and God bursts ministry, now the prayer starts. If you ask God for this thing or for that thing and God gives it, now the work starts. And when the work starts, prayer starts. And it says, I prayed, in verse 27, for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked. She didn't forget that she prayed. Oftentimes we'll pray and then when something comes, we're kind of shocked and surprised but we've forgotten that we've even prayed. Hannah prayed. God answered. But she also remembered her promise. How many of you make promises with your prayers? Don't bow unless you're going to keep the vow. Don't promise unless you're really going to do it. And 
It says, so now I gave him. Catch that. I gave him. She knew where she was placing her child. She knew where she was giving her child. She was not casting her child in the water. She was placing her child in the temple with Samuel. Samuel was going there with Eli. I mean, totally different. But what I want you to catch is this. The separation. The separation. And she didn't say, okay, Lord, this is the deal. I'll give him for five years, then he come back to me. Okay, Lord, I'll give him for ten years, then he'll come back to me. She said, Lord, I give him his whole life. That when you give to the Lord, you give it all. You give your whole life. You don't give for five years, ten years, fifteen years. You give it for your whole life. And she gave her son. And by giving his whole life, she's saying, Lord, he won't be under my care or my control. He'll be under whose? Yours. Yours. How many of you have submitted yourself and your children and your whole life and their life under the control of God? Under the control of God, submitting to God, His will, His pleasures. I give. We sing that song. I give myself away. Do we really do that? It's a nice song. But do we do it? Do we really give ourselves into the hands of God? Mothers, you got to pray, not just for the child, but you got to be willing to pray all the way through with the child. And you got to trust God and give that child to God. One thing that I think we all understand our children are going to fall in love with someone they love more than us. <laughs> not in a sense there's a com- where you are competing it's a different type of love because the scripture says I leave mom and dad and I go where and I cling to my husband I cling and the two of them As much as mom and dad may love you, you'll never become one because God never intended for that to be. But you become one with the husband, with the one you pick. Boy, yet you still love mom and dad. I remember one day Elaine was in her kitchen, boy, and my mom came over. Oh, I thought World War III was going to break out. Because my mother started to tell her, you know, you need to have this over here. You need to do this. And boy, I could see Elaine. Elaine was trying to hold and everything. And I said, oh, boy, Lord. You know, and I said, Mom, 
this is Elaine's kitchen, and she can arrange it however she wants. She can arrange it however she wants. And then with my wife, boy, the, the, the children had a thing with their grandmother calling her mom and mom, and they was getting confused who really was mom. So one day I told my kids, that's grandma, that's what you'll call her, grandma, not mom. And when mom tells you something to do and grandma tells you something to do, you better do what mom will tell you to do. Man, listen up. Sometime when you want to run, you got to step in. <laughs> or World War Three will break out. <laughs> you know. But here she is. You know, you got to understand, you got to give them away sometime. And the child will understand. When they find the person, the woman, or the man that loves them, Love mom and dad, but not like Elaine. (laughs) And I told my son, it's good to love your mom, but understand this, your wife comes first. Your wife is always first. And your children and your household. And Hannah was able to give away. Mothers do something sometimes that is strange that fathers don't do quite as quick. And you see it even in the animal world. Mothers will very quickly protect their children. They'll even protect their children from their fathers. One day me and my, my middle daughter got into it. And boy, I was about ready to slay her like David did Goliath. And and Elaine jumped in the middle. She slowed me up. But I told her, don't ever do that again. The, The thing is, is this. Mothers will risk their own lives for their children. Watch a bear. With his cubs. You go through Smoky Mountains. Don't feed the bears. Don't feed the bears. We was going back down one day through the Smoky Mountains. And we saw this person out there feeding this cub. And the signs say, don't feed the bear. And all of a sudden that mama bear was seeing what was happening. And that mama bear came charging. And you got the sign out there, don't feed the bears. They got them out there for a reason. But here come that mother bear because she didn't know what was happening. You'll find the same thing with a deer attacking a car or attacking to protect its foe. You'll find it very vicious with lions protecting their cubs. And you'll find a mother, you'll find fingernails they never had <laughs> when you mess with their child. Hey, once you look with me in First Kings one seventeen, fighting for the right of your child. That mother who ran out there and got her child, she knew what could happen to her child. She knew what danger it was for her child. 
And as news showed her running and hitting him, and there were different opinions whether she should have done that or not done that, there was something I think we all missed today. As that mother was welling on his head and pushing and doing and whatever, I never once saw that young man posture himself against his mom. I never saw that young man try to grab his mom's hands to keep her from hitting. I never saw that young man disrespect his mom, even though. And that showed me something that that woman had instilled something in that child. Especially young men. Because when young men rise up and they can see mom eye to eye, they think they're ready to knock mom out. Young men think different than young girls. So when they begin to grow and they see mom eye to eye and they know they're stronger than mom, they're ready to take mom on. They'll start disrespecting mom. They'll start saying things. It's the testing ground of my manhood now. And that's where the father steps in. Boy, you mess with her. She's your mama, but she's my wife. He'll, he'll catch that message. He'll get that message. He'll understand that message. Because now you've got two men fighting about the same woman, just in different ways. And that's why that father's there, because at that point... When that young man gets to that point, boy, I got this. I got a little muscles. I, I even got a little hair under the arms. And boy, I'm feeling my. The father calms that down. Hey. But the mother, she's willing to risk herself for her son. Go to First Kings. Chapter 1, verse 17. Bathsheba knew that David had said that Solomon would follow him, that Solomon would have the throne. Understand, David had many wives and a whole, whole bunch of kids. David had over a hundred and something kids. And Bathsheba... Reminds the king. Adonai, he didn't went off and he's making himself king because David is sick in bed. It says, she said to him in verse 17, my Lord, you yourself swore to me, your servant. By the Lord your God, Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. You promised that, David. I'm coming on behalf of my son. That which you have promised. What is she doing? She's fighting for his right. She's fighting for her son's right. Not the son going in challenging David, saying, you promised that I would follow you. No, she did it. She reminded. Something about when sons and dads get to a certain eye to eye to, sometimes we'll forget we're father and son and we go man to man. 
And she intercedes. And she's fighting now for the right of her son. You promised. You said it. Nobody forced you to say it. No, you have all these other kids out here. No, you have all these other male child that could become king. But you promised that my son Solomon would follow you. Will follow you. One of the biggest fights we have in courts at times is when there has been divorces, remarriage, and other children. Is it the first children who should get the inheritance? Or is it the second children? Or the third children? Mostly with men, they leave their inheritance to whom they have attached themselves to. And oftentimes, we often, and it's very easy for men to walk away, and we forget our first child or our second child. But that immediate family I'm with, I'll leave all my inheritance to them, basically, forgetting my first and second. Somehow, there's a disconnection that should not take place, but it does take place. And it's the mother that sometimes has to remind the father, that's your son too, that's your daughter too, that's your child too. And what are they doing? They're fighting for the right of their child to receive from the one who is also a parent unto them, whether they parent it or not. It's the mother who has to sometimes intercede and fight for the right of the child to receive. Because of the sake of time, I want to run over to Timothy. You can pick up on verse 19 and 20 and verse 28 there in First King. But I want you to go with me to understand this point. Learn to accept help from others in raising your children. Don't be so protective of your child that nobody else can say anything to him. Even in church life, we have come to a point that if somebody tell your child to stop running in the church, he ain't got no right to be telling my child not to run. He ain't got no right to tell my child not to be scribbling in the songbook. He ain't got no right to tell my child this or that. And boy, we get very touchy, even in church, if somebody else corrects my child other than me. Always weigh this. Is the correction correct? Is the correction correct? Part of our problem in society today, we've taught our children, the only one you listen to is me. No, teach your children to listen to the voice of authority because every young man who has basically been killed, what we're somewhat marching about, if they would have listened to the voice of authority, they would be alive today. The child don't need to fight for his rights as long as it's in the care of the mother or the dad. The parents fight for the child's right. Not the child, but the parents. The parents. 
You go to battle for your child. You intercede for your child. But if your child is wrong, tear him up. Tear her up. Let him know she's wrong. Now when I say tear up, don't abuse the child. Hey, you can whoop a child without leaving a whole bunch of broken bones and bruises and breaking of skin. The child will get the message. Sometimes, boy, my kids, boy, when I come raging at them, they thought, boy, Tyler told me one time, just go ahead and kill me. And I, uh, I'm trying. <laughs> Learn to accept help from godly people. Don't exclude them from helping you raise your son or your daughter. They may not be exactly what you want, but you weigh this. Did they have a concern over my child? Were they trying to help my child? Were they telling my child to do the right thing? And sometime I need to stop and say, thank you for correcting my child. Thank you for having a care and concern about my child. Because we need help in doing this. Lois, the mother of Timothy, she had help. First of all, she had a grandmother that came in and helped her. Elaine would be the first to tell you while we was going to school, if my mom would not have clothed our kids... And if the aunts of them at Christmas time wouldn't have bought Christmas for them and really celebrated for them, our kids would not have had much of a Christmas. But it was grandmas and aunts that came in and they made Christmas for them. Because we didn't have money when we was going to school to be able to do that. So they did it for them. They would send them on their birthday, their birthday gifts and so forth. We didn't have the money to do it. We would do good if we could take them to Pizza Hut on their birthday. You need others to help you. You need others who you can truly look and say, they love my child. They're concerned about my child. You know. Now, I'm not saying cast your child off to anybody's hands, and that's happening far too much today. Know who you leave your children with. Know who's concerned about your children. You just don't throw them into anybody's house because some homes you wouldn't want to put a dog in. And she allowed herself to be humble enough to receive the help from a grandmother. She allowed herself to receive help from other brothers, and I'm going to say brothers in the Lord because the scripture brings it out, brothers, and then it says Jews later on when Paul does what he's going to do with Timothy. She allowed Paul, she entrusted Paul with her son to go on a journey, on a trip. Those are things I think that we still have to learn because... In our culture and society, we have become overly protective 
that our children sometimes know no more of the world than just this little area. And we stifle them rather than to help them grow. A few years ago when mothers entrusted me with their kids to go down to Tennessee for a seminar and so forth and for a weekend camp, boy, we saw some of the young boys grow. And some of the workshops that took place, it really helped them because it brought out some things that of single parents and so forth and of, of a missing father that those kids had to hear about and so forth and it just worked and God did an amazing thing but the parents said yeah go ahead and take him you know but they, they entrusted the child with me you know now you get into Acts 2 Acts chapter 16 and verse 2 it says the brothers of Lester and Iconium spoke well of him you don't speak well of somebody unless you have what? Interacted with them. Unless you know them. Unless you have a relationship with them. It said the brothers spoke well of Timothy. Now hold on to that thought because see, Timothy is of a mixed family. Of a Jewish woman and a Greek. He's taught... Because the scripture allows us to know in Timothy, Second Timothy 1, that he's taught in the Jewish faith. He's taught the scriptures. He's taught. Mom and grandma is teaching him. But see, the law in the Jewish community is that when that child was eight years old, he should have been what? Yes. That Greek wasn't going to take him. <laughs> that Greek father wasn't going up into that temple for that ceremony. Now, Timothy is a young man. Never been circumcised. Paul wants to take him on a journey. But Paul knows if he takes him, especially into the Jewish camps, and he has not been circumcised, he would not be what? Accepted. Now catch this with me. For all these years, I have not been circumcised. I'm getting along very well. I got some friends because it said the brother spoke well of him. So he wasn't starving for friends. Listen, folks. Sometimes you do the unnecessary in order to do the necessary. Timothy didn't need, per se, to be circumcised. Timothy knows the Lord. Paul brings that out very clearly. But Paul says, because of the Jews, and we're going to minister to the Jews, it's necessary that you be circumcised. Although I'm living life comfortably and well, that's an unnecessary thing for me to do. But if you're going to do this, if you're going to minister 
to these people and you're going to be around these people and you're going to talk to these people. This is necessary. You've got to be circumcised if you're going to take this trip with me. One of the things that hurts us in life sometimes is that we're not willing to do the unnecessary things in order to do the necessary things. And oftentimes the unnecessary things are the preparation things that I don't think is very meaningful. But they are very purposeful in our life in order to do what we're going to do if we're going to accomplish it. Teach your child to do the unnecessary things that they can really perform and do the necessary things of the task that they have to do. And she trusted those brothers with her child. She trusted Paul. And even when Paul took him in to be circumcised, she's trusting other people outside of herself. In the church, the brothers, men, take on other children. If your children are grown, Take on other children to help those young parents guide their child. Their eyes can't always be on their child. Love that child enough to give the child a hug. Love the child enough to encourage them to do the right thing. Just don't look at them doing the wrong thing and saying, yeah, your mama should have taught you, your dad should have taught you. Help them at that very moment. Help them. Show that you care. Show that you love. And show even this. You may be 60 years old. He may be 6 years old. But if he's accepted the Lord at 6 years old, he's no longer just 6 and you 60. That is your brother in Christ. Women the same way with young girls. Same way. Let's be a team in raising the young kids. Amen? So, be willing to learn to accept help outside of yourself in raising your child. And just a few scriptures you can look at on your own time. Look at Proverbs 12.1. Look at Proverbs 14.1. Look at Proverbs 22.6. Look at Proverbs 1.8. And look at Proverbs 10.1. God repeats twice in those verses, especially chapter 1, then back over in chapter 6, in advising the child to listen to the instructions and the teachings, not only of the father, but also of the mother. Mothers, you have an awesome task in teaching your children to walk with God. But be Understand this principle also. You cannot teach what you do not model. 
You cannot teach what you do not model. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we thank you that, Lord, we can go to your word and it's like a well, Lord, that continues to fill the bucket for us. And we know, Lord, that your well will never run dry. We can always drop our bucket down into your well and we're going to pull up fresh water. May we drink of your word today. May we be refreshed by your word. May somehow, O oh God, your word has spoken to our hearts. There's some difficult challenges in raising children today. But Lord, the task continues to go on. Because the child is to be taught. For you've said, Lord, to raise up a child in the way they should go. Not the way they want to go. Not what they want to do. But in the way, Lord, in which they should go. You have told us, Lord, that a child is like an arrow in the bowman's hand. That if he points it and let it go, it will go to the mark in which he has set his sights for that arrow. If we train our children, they will go to the site in which we have trained them. And we pray, Father, that you would give the mothers that willingness to go the extra, extra mile. That you would bless our mothers. You would strengthen our mothers. It's a tiring job. But may you give them strength. It's a job that sometimes, Lord, you wish that you could just take a time out and get a break. But those who raise children know that they're always right there. There's always some need. There's always something to do for a child. Lord, give them strength. And above all else, Lord... Give them wisdom and knowledge to impart in the mind and the heart of their children. May you bless our mothers today. May you meet every need for them. May you continue, Lord, to be the omnipresent God that you are in their life. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ,